Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. The title of today's podcast is Know Thyself, Tools for Growing Your Self-Awareness and Your Performance. And our special guest today is Carrie Fournier, the CEO and founder of Vibrant Ventures, a coaching and consulting business that works with leaders and organizations in the areas of human capital, the future of work, and leading innovation. Do you ever feel out of alignment or like you're not living up to your highest potential? Do you struggle with understanding the role of emotional intelligence in your leadership? Are you hungry to live and lead as your best self? Well, you have come to the right spot because Carrie today is going to answer this and many other questions as she explores What's the key to unlocking your highest level of performance? And specifically, she's going to share her secret sauce for helping people achieve their most impactful self. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. Well, I know Craig's tired of hearing me say this word, but I am back to excited Sometimes I'm thrilled, sometimes I'm over the moon, but today I'm excited. I'm excited to meet someone new. We have Carrie Fournier with us today, the CEO and founder of Vibrant Ventures, which I'm sure we'll learn more about throughout the conversation today. That organization is all about unlocking your highest potential. Carrie is an executive and life coach, speaker, consultant. And I love this piece because we have we share we share a similar path. She's got 25 plus years in the corporate world. And now she's evolved into this next part of life. And I'm a former attorney who evolved into this new life. So I'm always fascinated to hear that story about the journey. Uh, Perhaps somewhere in here we'll hear something that jumped out at me. Early years as a classical actress and violinist. Oh. Somewhere in there I'm going to ask a question about that. And I just love the fact that she says her passion is to help people unleash their highest selves. So welcome, awesome. Carrie Ann, and we are just excited to have this conversation with you today. Yeah, welcome. Oh, absolute pleasure. And it's funny, you sort of you started with the anchor. I have one of the most crazy serpentine careers. So at one point in my life, I was on an equity derivative structuring desk, and I joked I was the only <laughs> one that could do it in iamic pentameter. <laughs> and nobody asked, surprisingly. How is that possible? Although I was a compensation executive for many years, and I did use the term to pay or not to pay. That is- <laughs> Which, depending on the sense of humor of the executives. You are, you are talking to two bald guys. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it was, so yes, yeah, so it was, um, it's, you know, it's been a great journey. And to your point, I love this really new chapter because when I look back at all of these, what seems very disconnected career elements in my life, there's been a thread that is really what created Vibrant Ventures. And to go back, you know, you know, Genesis chapter one, growing up, I was a very serious violinist, traveled around the world, hmm. made, brought that into me as a classical actress. I went to Northwestern, 
to be frank, I think I'm still the only theater major that ever took physics and calculus and all these other things. <laughs> and in hindsight, now I realize I was a geek in heels, like didn't realize it at the time. But you know, one thing I tell my clients and anyone who listen, when you think about jobs or careers, you have to choose not just what you love, but the lifestyle that comes with it. Mm. And I love the arts. I did not love the lifestyle that came with mm. it. It was too iterative. I could be performing great reviews and then you're back on the breadline as soon as the show's over. And mm. that sort of six progressive success wasn't there. I'm not gypsy enough. And I guess <laughs> the thing about, I'd say about it, once again, for your listeners that I, at least in hindsight, am proud of is that I let my ego detach from what I thought people would think if I pivoted. Mm, wow, that is so huge. And that's not easy. And that's oh. happened actually a couple of times in my career. And for me, to, I remember just being very self-aware and saying, oh my God, what will people think? And then just kind of knowing, yeah, this just isn't the right path. And it's my narrative, not somebody else's. <laughs> and so when I really, and I was working, it wasn't like I was just waitressing. I was working. I knew it wasn't right. And I, this is a long story, but going from that, I fell butt backwards into Wall Street. Like, what? <laughs> Lehman Brothers of all places. And there was an opening. I got referred from someone who really knew me, respected me for whatever reason, somehow got on the slate for this junior analyst position. And it was me and all these MBAs and economics majors. And I'm at the final stretch, me and one other guy. This SVP of the division had to interview us. Still friends to this day, actually, 25 plus years later. And I remember him saying, asking me, like, okay, everybody loves you, but help me understand why are you sitting across from me? I don't get it. <laughs> like, I just, he's like, I'm sure you're lovely and whatever, but what? And I said, okay. And I don't know where I pulled this answer out of because it was not prepared. And I said, listen, if you're looking to hire someone with a certain set of knowledge and a certain set of schooling, I go, I am not your person. But let me tell you what it takes to be superb and excellent as an actor, as a violinist. Nobody tells you how long you need to practice. Mm. Nobody tells you how to practice. Maybe somebody guides you. All of the work that you need to do from an orchestral and ensemble, all that teamwork, all of that interplay, all that mm. experimentation, all of that self-learning, that's on you. And then you have to be brave enough to go out and actually put yourself on the line and act to the point of you're either soaring or complete ridicule. I go, so if you're looking for someone who's willing to do behind the scenes, whatever it takes to be ex superb and excellent, that I'm your person. I wow. go, if not, then, you know, okay, no harm, no foul. Like, I never thought I'd be sitting in the seat. Great answer. And, like, got it, you know? And we proceeded. He's that guy that would always ask all the questions you're not supposed to ask on, a, on an interview. And so it was <laughs> hilarious. Our, everybody's like, why is she still in there? We had a hilarious conversation. Yep. And we're still friends. So, Carrie, and tell us a little more about what have you learned from that experience? You know, there was something there that when I, when I coach a lot, I coach both men and women. Um, and what I see more times with women, but also with some men, is they get hung up on their value of what they think they know. They have to be the master knower before they put themselves forward for that next job, that next opportunity, the compensation that they deserve. And so... What I try and impress upon them and what we work on many times is confidence and a facility with your learning agility. Hmm. What does that look like? How do you lean into that space of discomfort? You almost get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. 
So that theme was basically the undercurrent of these crazy, I was the global head of compensation for Fortune 200 companies running billions of dollars. I was an equity derivative structure for a time, corporate and high net worth. I was a COO of startup tech company, high machine vision AI play. And, you know, I kind of did this thing. You know, I got the big ego job with the big money and the big office and the big comp. And, you know, life decided to tell me, um, you missed a flag that I put for you. And within a few months, I went from working 80 hours a week to what I thought was my marquee job to barely being able to get up a flight of stairs. Mm, and wow. it took them over a year. I finally had to go on disability, very bad advanced Lyme disease. Shut down my pulmonary, shut down my endocrine mm. system. I mean, it completely ravished me. And while I was on disability, our new CEO at Marshall Clennon left, or CEO left, and a new gentleman came in who I respect and admire quite a bit, but as many executives do, I was part of the executive echelon. I got let go while I was on disability. So it was before I knew it was Lyme, so I didn't know, I, I couldn't really start interviewing. And then after 20 years of marriage, some stuff kind of came out that I'd always suspected, and I filed for divorce. So it was like a trinity of trauma. You know, it was like that perfect storm of, I remember laying in my bed, looking at the ceiling and saying, all of the things that made you wildly successful on the outside are not going to cut it. It's just going to put you in the grave. And I had this, I had this, now she's 15 at the time, almost eight year old. And I said, I have to figure it out for her. I don't know where I'm going to yeah. find strength. And so I became a seeker, really in ways that I hadn't before and new tools and techniques things that would allow me to be, or let me even be, find my authentic self. Mm. I'd been on such a path, and to be frank, a little bit probably of a chip on my shoulder because I was the unconventional and woman 20 plus years ago on Wall Street or strategy consulting, I had a chip on my shoulder. And so I never gave myself the space to say, what is it I want? What do I want to create? Mm. Who is this underneath all of this armor? And for me, like the book, uh, book by Brene Brown, Daring Greatly, was life-changing for me. You know, the power of vulnerability. Um, and so I recrafted my life over the last seven years. And it's funny when I, I work with a lot of very intense type A executives. And, you know, when I, somebody says, oh, they'll never change. They'll never evolve. I'm like, 10 years ago, I was the one making fun of people in the self-help aisle. <laughs> people can change because i used to think because that was my model harder smarter faster toughen up you know stop being such a you know buckle up buttercup that was what i thought you just needed and you know that works until it doesn't and it's right. why a lot of people are stressed out unfulfilled um and not knowing how to recraft and so it doesn't your your profession and your um desire to succeed doesn't need to be a prison so, Carrie, and you clearly made a change. What stimulated that change for you? So, it's funny. My company ended up really coming about because my daughter, who at the time turned 13, called me on the carpet, called me out. And I was in a job. You know, I was going through all that stuff. And it was, it was an okay job. I mean, for me, who had always been pushing, it was fine. I was helping a friend out. It was close to her school. Everything was fine. It was just fine. And one day she comes to me and she goes, Ma, what are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, you're so bored. This is not you. She goes, this is not the mom I know and love. She goes, you're not inspired. You're bored. Come on, what's going on? Yeah, 13, right? And so nice. I give her all of this very settling language. I said, it's fine. I like the people. It's close to your school. I'd always had to work in Manhattan. 
And she goes, she'd been in a gifted school since she'd been in kindergarten. And she said, all these years, you've had me in this nerd school because you say I need to be challenged and inspired and fulfilled. She goes, why do you deserve any less? Mm. And I'm like, oh, crap. Now I really need to address this, right? Now I, yeah. she was totally right. Totally right. So when that job naturally, interestingly, sunset, the gentleman I came in to help left, and there was really no reason for me to be there anymore. I had the fork in the road. I had the, do I go into corporate? Or to be frank, many times I had to make myself much smaller in order to conform. Mm. If I had a leader who really was innovative and, and confident and had their own, you know, sort of our structure, it worked really well. That doesn't always happen, as you can imagine. <laughs> and so, um, particularly in HR, so, um, so I, I said, do I just keep repeating this wheel or do I do what I think is my secret sauce? And when I look back at all those crazy jobs, like my why became so clear. It didn't matter what my job title was. Every freaking time, whether I was doing Shakespeare or derivatives or tech, the most fun I ever had and the most impact I ever made was my ability to get in there and unlock people's potential or team's potential, organizational's potential beyond what they thought was possible. And yet it would be scary that I'd be there to support them and give them tools and to be frank, make it fun. You know, yeah. add some fun in there. And so that's, that was what I was put on this planet to do. And so Vibrant Ventures was truly created on that why. So Vibrant is spelled V-Y-B-R-A-N-T-E because my premise is to unlock individual team or organizational vibrancy. You have to understand your why. And in the end, it's all about your energy, your E-factor. Wow. So, uh, so, which is a model that I was deeply trained in as coach for well over a year. And so, yeah, so I took, I decided the most courageous thing I've ever done was bet on myself. Wow. And, and it took your daughter to ask you that question. Yeah, I had to. I couldn't, That's awesome. what I couldn't, I couldn't hide anymore. And it's so easy to write. Listen, all of us, you know, it's so easy to the devil we know versus the devil we don't. I'd yeah. always been the breadwinner, by the way. So the latitude, I mean, what's at stake with me going on my own, there is no trust fund. There is no, there is no other income. There is, there's just me, myself and I. Yeah. And to take, to, to believe in my own words, I'm like, listen, I, there's so much I don't know, I don't even know yet <laughs> to run my own business, even though I've been a CEO of a startup tech company. I go, but I know I have the grit and determination to figure it out. And I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I'm figuring it out every day. Um, that's, and it is what is both terrifying and exhilarating simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, I think that goes back to, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Marie Forleo, oh, sure. but she, she wrote a book, Everything is Figure Outable. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, listen, when I was on the derivatives desk, when I got that opportunity, which was another whole, you could have an hour on that crazy story. I got on there with all these Harvard and MIT MBAs for the most part. And I was like, what? Okay, I thought I could. So I bought all the textbooks. If I couldn't figure out a chapter, I'd highlight it. And Wednesdays was my school night. And I'd find the smartest school and the smartest guy on the trading floor. People would sign up for topics. And I'd say, I'm bringing you to a bar. And either you fall off that stool drunk or I understand this chapter, whichever comes first. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so much cheaper than Harvard. But so that required some serious vulnerability and saying, I need help. Yeah. And, you know, listen, once again, I had nothing to lose. Listen, the older you get, the more you have to lose. 
nobody expected me ever to be in any of those places. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, let's try this. And you know, I think awesome. What's funny is that I felt as much as I was learning, it had been a time that they actually had to think about explaining it and doing it from a deeper level. So I feel like they got a deeper knowledge of whatever they were because they, they weren't on autopilot anymore. Yeah. And listen, as a woman on a trading floor 20 plus years ago, it was a, I wasn't a desk mm -hmm. assistant looking for a husband. You know, I, it was a way of creating credibility and um, mm -hmm. buy-in. You know, a lot of people buying in to say, hey, you know, we're working on this deal. I know we talked about this. Maybe you want to hear what we're doing. Or, but that was another thing. Even though I finally, you know, I figured it out. I was doing it for a couple of years. Uh, it wasn't the right job for me. It was repetitive. And I got a call from a recruiter who had placed me at Lehman Brothers saying, we've got this job at Merrill Lynch. It's a mess. It's their international private client. They're bringing in a turnaround team. It's nobody wants this job. It's perfect for you. I'm like, uh, I think you've got the wrong number. Like, why in the world would I go back into HR? Like, I've made it. My ego was just like enormous. It was enormous. Should have been, right? Uh, but she's like, yeah, you're bored. Let me guess, you're bored. You figured it out, now you're bored. And you're probably acting like the COO, CAO at the desk at this point. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. She goes, you like to transform, bring things forward, create. She goes, I'm happy you had this chapter, but it's done, sweetie. <laughs> and I, That's a good sales pitch. <laughs> and, I, and I know I love her. Um, fortunately, she's passed since. And I said, you're crazy, you're drinking. And I hung up on her. Like, <laughs> desk, you did that, right? I'm busy. And I went home and I had my glass of wine and I'm like, damn it, she's right. How am I going to explain this? How am I going to explain going from this, you know, ego, swinging it with the guys, all this to HR? And, but it was the right HR job. It was transformation. It was turnaround. To this day, some of the smartest people I've ever worked with was on that turnaround team. I'm so glad I did. Although the guy that suckered me into coming over ended up resigning in between me joining so he's still on my like blacklist. He's still on my blacklist, but I'm still <laughs> glad I went. And uh, so, yeah, so it's, it's funny how like trying to really detach from what you think your ego says and what people will think versus what will grow you, what's an alignment to what you really like to do, not what's the most impressive. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of fun. So, Karen, you, you've mentioned a lot of words, and I know your website talks about some words that everybody knows. You talk yeah. about high potential and high performance, and, you know, a big part of me says blah, blah, blah. Sure. Because everybody's saying that, but I'm guessing you've referenced secret sauce. Talk to us about the secret sauce and how your view of potential and performance is really different than the, hey, just go do more, push harder, <laughs> overcome. Yeah, yeah, that whole model. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's, you know, that's recipe 101 to adrenal fatigue. Um, so, so great question. And the reason why it's different, it is different for everyone. And I think first and foremost, you know, every time I work with a client, the first part, the first couple of sessions are really about stripping yourself identity down, like understanding yourself in a very different narrative. Like, what are those things? In a very assessment fact-based way, by the way. Like, mm -hmm. my types of clients, they're not going to, they're not sitting holding <coughs> hands, you know, singing kumbaya or, you know, humming, going home. They want facts. At least not to begin with, right? <laughs> Some go there. It's very funny when they kind of unleash that side, but I can, I can definitely go there if they need to. But in the beginning, 
we create stories about who we think we are and what limits us, right? And to really shine a light on that subconscious drivers, mm. say, wait a second, is this true? Is this truth? Is this just a story you've told? Is this is really how you're wired and how do we optimize it? There are many times there are things that people have defined as their strengths that are actually completely limiting what is possible in their life. Absolutely. I'll give you an example. So I do usually, it's an exercise. And I, I ask my clients, tell me your top three strengths. And this is where they kind of, they sit up and they, you know, ruffle their feathers a little, a little peacock, and they're very excited to talk about their strengths. And so I'll use mine as an example. Let's say I said I am independent, I'm smart, and I'm resilient. And I did do this exercise and had this boomerang back. Oh, great. Those are wonderful things to be. Where are they not serving you? What do you mean? So for me, for example, I, I've been independent since I can remember. I'm self-sufficient. You know, I'm the one that had to pay alimony, of course. You know, I am, I so define myself as independent that the possibility of me depending on people mm. was not even on the slate. Like it wasn't even on the palette that I felt ever comfortable choosing. But if I'm going to be my best self, my authentic relationships, the best leader I could be, of course, I need to depend on people, right? Duh. But when you're so attached to what those strengths are, Perfect. Other, I was so, and this is going to sound egotistical, I was so confident in my intelligence or my brain that I had sort of cut off, and for a number of reasons, maybe because it was more my artistic center, my emotions, my feelings, and my intuition. Now, that, that, doesn't go, that will get you only so far, but quantum living, quantum being comes from combining all three of those, Right. And so I realized I was so attached to the intellectual and overthinking side that I really cut off a really important part of who I was. Once again, not just because it's nice, but because as me as a leader, I am a better leader. I am a better performer by being clear about my emotions, comfortable in the feelings arena for my staff, listening to my intuition, even if I don't know why. And it's funny, I've got this one client, he's, he's a total techie data guy. He had a really hard time talking about her feelings could even, or intuition could even, yep. he just, he couldn't get over the, the hump. And I go, well, you know, well, you're, you're missing all of this data. Like, yeah, <laughs> this data. I don't miss data. Data is my life. And I'm like, well, you're missing data. It's like, absolutely not. Show me. And I go, well, do you not think feelings are data? Isn't that showing you a signal? <laughs> it's just information. You can yeah. make whatever meaning you want out of it, but it is absolutely cutting off information and data for you to make the most informed decision. That's, and, it's, and as yeah. soon as I rephrase it, he's like, oh, well, yeah. Well, now let's talk about feelings because and then everyone said it was hilarious. <laughs> it was really, really hilarious. Well, I've been on the other side, you know, uh, big time thinker. And when it came to my coach saying, so what do you feel about that? Well, I think that if, but yeah, but what do you feel about that? Well, what's coming up for me is that I think that if, you know, and it just kept coming Ooh. back to that. I, I really had to struggle to break through that and start to get back to my heart center and yeah. say, okay, this just allow myself to feel and understand what was going on emotionally. Yeah. And, and you know what it is? Part of it is, is the way the brain is, is wired, right? So yeah. we have our limbic brain, which is where intuition and feelings are. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, there's 
there's no language capacity there. <laughs> the neocortex, however, is all the what and the how and the thinking. That's where language resides. And so you can trick the brain into rather than saying, why are you doing this or how? You say, what about that actually is coming up for you? Or what about? And it's sort of like a backdoor into getting to some of the softer things that sometimes linguistically we just can't attach to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, but it's very common, you know? Um, so yeah. So, so that going back to your, uh, so that's part of it. Like get really clear about who you are. What are these things that are mm -hmm. like setting you up for success or really limiting you? Um, I have a really amazing, and it's what I was trained in for over a year, energy assessment. And even though it's ELI? called energy, ELI, yes. ELI is awesome. Isn't it fantastic? So it's, it's the energy leadership index. It fantastic. is. I have had, and once again, you, people hear energy, particularly my kind of clients, and they think, <laughs> oh, well, woo. My left brainers, my left brainers adore this because yeah. they can quantify it, they can see it, they can self-modulate and become so self-aware afterwards, and it, it's, 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 it's transformational. And so, um, interestingly enough, some of my more creative clients struggle with it a little. Because they don't want to, they just want to kind of be fluid and <laughs> they don't want to name in. They're kind of like, and I'm like, what do you mean I'm a two in this area and I'm a six over here? Yeah, and also even because there's a number, right? So right. I had to work, and it's not usually my thing, but I had to work with some really high, high creatives. And I realized <laughs> I had to quickly pivot my language. I had to very quickly pivot my language because just by using a number for a lever, yeah. they heard number and they shut down. So maybe you can uh, explain what catabolic and anabolic energy is. Well, absolutely. So um, this ELI and the, the framework is really based upon the fact um, that there are two major buckets of energy. There's anabolic energy and there's catabolic. Energy. So I know I'm going to sound like I'm in science class here. But it's <laughs> Bring it on. Forward. I'm, I'm having Pavlovian responses. <laughs> Biology was not my favorite. It was not my favorite uh, class. But this is really, really simple. And so let's start with anabolic. So anabolic energy, think of it as the type that's growth-oriented and has momentum and has fluidity and just a lot of movement and inspiration and ideation in there. So for both of you, think about someone that even before you meet with them, you know it's going to be fun. You're going to be in the zone. You're going to be in flow. And while you're in it, time flies, and even after it, you can almost feel yourself like walking on clouds. Like Does right now. Yep. There you go. <laughs> no, you know, and unfortunately, not all of us have that many to choose from on this, but that's yeah. someone who's really embodying a tremendous amount of anabolic energy. Mm -hmm. Now, on the flip side, catabolic energy, not so much fun. It is draining, and it's destructive, and it really limits possibility. And um, it's kind of like almost like cayenne pepper in a recipe that's not supposed to be there. You know, it kind of overwhelms everything. And so, unfortunately, just even a little bit of catabolic energy really brings down, bring down people overall energy level, right? Yeah. Really, really sucks them dry. Now, the positive on that statement, though, is if a little bit brings someone down, releasing just a little bit of catabolic energy mm. makes such a difference in people's lives and what they see as possible. And it's one of the things I love most about this framework because it doesn't, you can have major life shifts by doing small changes in mind shift and action, yeah. right? It doesn't require, you know, a thousand sessions in order to finally get to the good stuff. 
So what's um, one example of a, a typical catabolic energy factor that you find is fairly easy to shift? Sure. So, um, so two, I'll say usually they bucket into one or two categories. Um, okay. It's either victim thinking or sort of aggressor. Like it's almost like mm. fight or flight, right? So your victim thinking, if you had a statement, it's, oh, you know, I lose. Life is happening right. to me. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't have any control on, on how things are going. And the way the brain works really is there's a core thought, there's a feeling attached, and then there's the action that results in what you see as possible. Yep. And so in this, it's victim, it's sort of feeling sorry for oneself, you know, mm -hmm. sort of that blame game. And then uh, what possible is really the action is almost inaction. It's that classic mm -hmm. sitting, uh, sticking ostrich in a hole. Yeah. And listen, everybody goes up and down these different levels all the time. It's the question of how often do you go and how long do you stay? Hmm. And so for me, um, I know if I, if I go here, we all do at times, I pop myself out by being of service. And that's Eli, so good. That's, yes. level, that's level four. That's level Absolutely. Four. Like I know when, when this all hit, COVID hit, and here I am a year and a half to starting my own company. And it's like all this momentum, brick wall, it was like a wildy coyote cartoon. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I'm like, really universe? Haven't I been through enough? <laughs> and no, seriously, enough, like enough already. I'm like, I've done my time of hardships. And what was important though, and this is where even the lowest level of energy has benefit, if you choose it and you limit it. So I chose, I had the training, I said I'm gonna choose to feel sorry for myself for 36 hours. 24 didn't seem long enough. I needed that extra <laughs> Okay. I had two cycles of wine. If I, if I, <laughs> and I, I see where it's coming back to. Okay. Yes, exactly. And I chose 36 hours to just feel like sorry for myself and like really. And then I said, okay, it's over. That's okay. And the good news is I wasn't repressing it. I wasn't ignoring it. I honored what I felt. And I, of course, had any mm. right to feel this way, but okay, now what? And so I launched a group coaching program and I said, pay what you can, whatever is from fear to fearless in times of crisis. So we used it as, and it was a sort of an interesting amalgamation of different kind of folks. It was really just a couple of weeks, but I knew if I got out there and that there were people that were so stuck with so much happening to them that I was like, oh, what do I have to lose? Right? Yeah. So for me, that works. Um, so the victim thinking is definitely one of the major catabolic. The other one is this really, this energy of conflict, right? And unfortunately, much of the world resides in this level two conflict. I just see it everywhere. Everybody seems to be, you know, I'm, I'm either for this politician or that politician or I'm in this space, not that space. And there's just so many different ways that so people peaceful. want to be different. Right. And it's unfortunate because, listen, it resides in this black and white, right or wrong, good and bad thinking, right? I mean, and they don't realize that it re affects the relationships. So they're going to take their stance over the relationship. And I think that's, that's just crazy. Yeah. It's like this racket that runs. And like, what are you losing? Like, what right. are you losing? And it's actually one of the reasons why you can do all of this kind of stuff. It's always very, cha not challenging. There's, there's natural challenges to shifting behavioral patterns. So one of the things I always do with my clients is I make sure that they really define what's the, what's the life they want to create in just like five core values. We spend so much time talking about the what we want to do. We rarely talk about the who we want to be and the life, the type of life we want to create. 
So let's say somebody chooses joy, authenticity, flexibility, wisdom, and harm, whatever, right? Those are their five words. And they're in this conflict central that feels so good to them because it's this, this, this like adrenaline kick for them. And it's, they get to feel right all the time. And I go, well, how is this serving? Is this diminishing joy? Is this, I'm just curious. And once again, as a coach, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's always a question I help shine a light. Is this serving what's most powerfully moving you forward in the life you create? And if it's not, okay, let's, what else could be possible? Let's, let's come from a place of play. And like, what do we replace that with? (laughs) Because what is the, what's the cost? And, um, you know, because then if I were to say, wow, like, you know, what you're doing, that's like totally wrecking your life. They they be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they probably get into some behavioral uh, pattern of a parent or a spouse, whatever else. But when you really shine a light on it, you say, listen, you tell me this is serving you. Okay, I'll back off. But there are two things that I see and they don't seem to be aligned. Let's chat. And then they get to talk it through, right? Um, And that's really where the ahas are. Um, what's interesting in this particular, when I have clients, and particularly Wall Street clients, right, um, the whole dynamic is every trade is a winner or a loser, every trade. So every communication tends to take on that tone and temperament. Lawyers tend to be very similar to this in some ways. Mm-hmm. Not, Jeff not is a recovering lawyer. Jeff, not saying you, <laughs> Jeff, but that, you know, dad's a lawyer. Um, but um, there are certain types of professions and certain types of environments that really foster this kind of thing. And so what I have, and it's really based upon a lot of judgment. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. So it's a pretty funny exercise. I asked them to do a judgment journal. And I said, you could do it a day, three days, a week. I don't know if, Craig, you've ever done this. I have not. Curious. Sounds like something Jeff might have done. So I did this. And let me tell you, I have clients that have filled up notebooks. And I came really wow. close. And you judge everything, everything you judge, yourself, the environment, other people, whatever. And the point about this is, and the hardest thing I have to tell people is, please don't fall into the trap of judging yourself for judging. We all do this. We all do this all the time. We have 60,000 60, thoughts a day. 80% of them are negative, And most of them are repetitive, right? The key is when you actually do, and this is where I get my geek analytical side on, when you do the diagnostic on what you wrote, there is low hanging fruit, right? Very low impact, like very low, like easy to give up. They've got real, no attachment to it. We're not telling you to tackle your parental or sibling relationships and all that. <laughs> usually something very, because you have to build the muscle of what this looks like. What yeah. could you replace with judgment? And it's usually curiosity. So for me, when I did this exercise, lived in Manhattan, walked down the street, and I realized I was being a judgy, you know what, looking at couples, looking at what people were wearing and being like, and just thinking I would never say this, but you still embody that energy. And I'm like, how the hell do they get together? <laughs> they wearing, you know, wow, that's you pay. Awful. Does it bark? You know, I mean, I was like, 
And, you know, unfortunately, part of my sense of humor is edgy like this, but it wasn't really, it wasn't that. And I realized I had, I had this undercurrent running through when I really looked at my notebook and I said, well, that's, that's an easy thing to practice. I mean, let me try this. So what you're supposed to, you know, what we start to play with is okay, replace it with curiosity. And once again, going back to building a muscle, sometimes you realize it happened a day later and then you realize an hour later, oh, wow, I was being judgmental. And then a few minutes later, and then you're in moment and you're realizing and you're catching something so you mm. can shift, right? So it's always okay. a question of mastery and practice. So of course, me being me, I couldn't go just from like judgment to like <laughs> curiosity. The way station in between is sarcasm, where you're being judgy, but it sounds like curiosity. So, uh -oh. I, said, so I was like, gee, I wonder what that person was thinking. I'm like, yeah, no, I, I'm calling myself out. That's not really curiosity. <laughs> being sarcastic and then um, I really said you know what no really I wonder like and then I really I found the wonder I go wow I, I wonder they're so they're, they look so different I wonder how they met I wonder where the story is there or somebody who was wearing something absolutely crazy and I'm like wow I wonder like I wonder what kind of job they have that that's like totally okay I, you know I wish I kind of wish that like I had the guts to be that, you know, and you just start practicing this curiosity and wonder. And let me tell you, almost immediately, you can feel your body lighten up. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. Jeff, Jeff and I are big movie buffs. And I, it, you gave me a flashback to the movie Date Night with, with uh, Carell and, and yes. Tim And how they're saying, oh, you know, that couple over there, this is what they're doing. You know, this is, yes. this is their story. And yep. so you're kind of bringing in the curiosity and you're telling a story about it. Yeah. And it's fun. And you know what? It creates a connection to these people versus a judgment and a barrier and an armor. Right. It creates this sort of common humanity. And listen, there are harder things. It's not to say people shouldn't have critical thinking. It's not to say they shouldn't be judicious. It's not to even say that there are sometimes that judgment isn't appropriate in some ways, but it's done with intention, intentionality, and, and sort of clear, like, why is it being used? Yeah versus, you know, trying to make the other person wrong, right? I think the intentionality is, is so important because it's, it's so easy to be not just judgmental, but, but prejudicial. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, it's, it's so <clears throat> unfortunate what people don't, under, under, don't understand or know they fear and dislike versus just saying, wow, that's, that's kind of interesting. It's so different. I wonder what their existence, and if we all could live through that for a second, there'd be so much more empathy and harmony yeah. um, and whatnot. And you know, this, as much as it sounds like a nice personal thing, let me tell you, it has huge implications in an organization and a team. Hmm. about a, a team trying to innovate? Oh, yeah. That's a dumb idea. My idea is to start it. I'm, you know, and then you get creatives and you get the numbers people and you get all these people wired very differently. And so how, and this is what I love to do, getting really, because diverse teams are the best teams because they are bringing in such yes. unique points of view, but as someone trying to manage and facilitate those teams, it's a handful. It's a masterclass. You have to be on your game. To how do you bridge the gap and how do you get them to listen? And one yeah. of my favorite things is I ask people, tell me your second best idea. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because we had a, a podcast guest, a friend of Jeff's, uh, Justin Jones-Fosu. He's a diversity and inclusion expert. And one of the things that he says is he gives himself six-month challenges for six months, I'm going to really try to understand how this person or this group of people operate. I love that. And 
and just challenges himself to do that so that he can understand things from their perspective. Not that he's necessarily going to become more like them, but that he can appreciate where they're coming from. Absolutely. And listen, you know, I won't go on, you know, the whole BLM and, you know, white advocacy right now, and white, white allyship, but you know, it's, it's so important. It's listening. Yes. It's holding space to honor experiences that to Mm -hmm. be frank, I will never fully understand. Just can't. I, but I, I can hold space and I can back and I can support and I can use my privilege in order to amplify and, and when appropriate, educate. Yeah. Because, you know, it shouldn't always fall to those who are suffering to then have to educate on top of it. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, got, it's so multifaceted from social impact work to corporate innovation to just relationships, um, you know, relationship dynamics. This comes up quite a bit, actually, when I work with um, founders, who are, founders of companies who are looking to generationally pass it down to their children or even whoever their successor is, because their identity is so enwrapped, you know, in, encapsulated in the organization, that is very, there's a lot of the judgment of that next rung, particularly if it is a child, um, that, you know, really unpacking this is, is, is part of the secret sauce. Mm. So, Carrie, and a, a couple, a bunch of questions came up as you were sharing. I know, I'm so, I'm so introverted. I know you have a hard time getting. <laughs> no, no, that's not it. Um, so, one of the first questions that come to mind is, you you talked about some things that I think a lot of people listen and say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I want to hear from you. How do you help people dig into the subtlety? So, you talked about victim. Ninety-five percent of the world doesn't think they're a victim, and ninety-five percent are. Uh, that's one example. You know, they don't, they don't walk around and say, oh, woe is me, but they are doing it. So how do you help your clients see that they're in those things that need to change? Because you can't, I don't think you can change until you're really ready to see there's something that needs to change. Right. So I think there's a nuance that you said when, if I were to embody, I am a victim as totality of a person. Yes. I think very few of us. And if they were, I would refer them to a therapist, not me. Frank. And I'm not even joking, because there are people who come where they really need a ther- therapist versus a coach. Um, I think when you look at specific behaviors and times when people are triggered and where they go um, when it happens. And so the good news is when I do assessment, it's very clear that there are times that this happens. And it's not a question of good or bad. It's a question of why. So when is it that you feel like you don't really have a say in your life? Like when is it? And then what happens? And how long do you stay? Because we all have fleeting moments of this. The question is, when are we ready to let it go, right? And so I think part of it is, is, is um, detaching, is this a good or bad thing, one, and that it's situational. It's really situational. We all have these, these times. Um, even like, I mean, to be frank, some of my most alpha clients, it's like, they're like, wow, you know, I it's hard for them to talk because everybody wants them to think that they've always got it together, but they really struggle with this yep. part of themselves. Sometimes it's compensatory. Absolutely. And so they're acting on the top, but what's really going on, it's sort of this house of cards and it's such a relief yeah. for them to even say, yes, there are times that I just like, I don't get it. Like, why does my boss not get me? Why do I not? You know, um, I'm trying to think if there was ever a time where someone was so, 
that I worked with that just couldn't acknowledge that there was at times in their lives that they were there? I don't really think so. I'll be honest. Hmm. And I think once again, that's what helps with an assessment, right? You can, you can take, you can take a step back. It's a little clinical, never say it's perfect. I have the, the, um, the results on some of the underlying drivers. So I can say, you know, uh, you know, I don't know if this, this happens to resonate, but do you think this might be going on? Right. And like, oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. I always feel like I have a weight on my shoulders. You know, I'm constantly worrying. I'm constantly thinking about what I should have done differently, you know, and everybody's depending on me to have the answers. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know what, I, I get stuck with replaying events in my head all the time and I just, and I can't move through it. I'm like, yeah, of course. Like in that situation, it's totally understandable that that would be what you were feeling, you know? And okay, so I'm assuming that's not where you want to stay. Let's start playing. Mm -hmm. So that's, I'd say that's sort of the way you get at that. If I think I answered your question. Well, I'm, I'm, cur I'm curious because, you know, you're giving a lot of examples of your clients you work with, obviously, and organizations, people are listening to this who are either in that seat or they're part of the organization. And yeah, one answer is call Carrion. That's an answer. <laughs> The best but, answer, by the way. <laughs> an excellent idea. They can call any three of us. The question is, what do you share with people? What are some tools they can use to help each other sure. in these areas? And in addition to getting that professional outsider's perspective. It's a great, and I'm, I'm a really believer in that. It's actually one of the reasons why I like the ELI, because even if they don't stay with me, just having that awareness, they can at least self-modulate a bit. But even in absence of that, to be frank, um, and so the answer depends on where they are in the emotional intelligence, self-awareness continuum, right? So some of what I'm suggesting, there has to be at least some work, some awareness, some emotional intelligence. But if, um, but if I were to work with a leader, like I say, a team lead, and I just say, you know, listen, just notice on your team, the folks that are feeling defeated and silent, and they're kind of physically retracted, and they're just not engaged versus the ones who are just being really defensive. Like they're just pushing their agenda being defensive. In order for you, like, to quickly focus on getting your team into high performance, you need to manage those two energies. In order to do that, you know, and then I'd say, you know, a couple of like tools is like, okay, um, really engaging the person who doesn't feel like they have a voice or they're gonna get jumped on, maybe taking them to the side, they're not comfortable in a group setting and, and engaging them on the side. Uh, for someone who's really in high conflict, um, managing that and saying, you know, what's your second best idea? Um, it's so situational because the dynamic, it's so, particularly in teams, it's so much about the others in the group as well. Um, yeah. But just to start with, as a leader, don't just go down the agenda. Don't just hit the, you know, and of course, listen, there's unfortunately too many teams that don't even have an agenda when they start. So let's just start with that. But assuming there's an agenda, notice notice the state of mindset that people are playing from are they on the court as the saying is are they in the stands <clears throat> so one of the things that jeff and i encourage is is actually a check-in at the beginning of a meeting so uh, that people can kind of air where they are and just kind of release some stuff before we get into the meat of things i found some cultures that works for some if they're not quite ready for okay um i think it's great if they are I think it's really, really, it needs to be well facilitated, certainly. And so that's sort of discipline. So it doesn't just become sort of <laughs> a jump ball bitch session. 
But, um, you know, it's one of the things I talk with um, at times. Is there anything we need to discuss or resolve in order for this meeting to be productive? Mm -hmm. But I I guess what I'm also thinking about is one of the examples Jeff uses is, you know, I just had this conversation with my child's teacher and yada, yada. And, you know, that's, I'm just going to leave that behind. But it's that check-in that allows people to air those things, whether it's business related or whether oh, it's I like that. Yeah. Come from home. Yeah, personal. And once again, some environments yeah, uh, exactly. are comfortable and some, I mean, it, it's, when you work with them over time, the, bringing the full humanity to bear is certainly ideal. Oh, but some, some companies, what's, what's the sign you're going to make for some companies, Jeff? No humans allowed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or I think there's companies that are leading that way without knowing they're leading that yeah, way. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So you used a really interesting phrase to me early on, um, Karrion. The phrase was quantum living. Mm. And I'm curious, is that a phrase you're borrowing? Can I have some context for it? Or do you have a unique sort of definition or context for that? You know, I've heard different variations on it. When I, when I say it, it means sort of really three-dimensional being from your head, mm. head and gut, right? All working together um, and together, not just individually, right? Um, to be fully expressed, fully present, um, fully realized. And to me, that's, that's really what that means. So I'm really curious about well, I'll start with my experience. My experience is there's a lot of resistance to that sure. type of thinking, whatever the language is, because you've used the phrase, it's woo-woo, it's soft, it's kumbaya stuff. So I'm curious about the resistance you've found and you know, the tools you've used to overcome the resistance, because I think, I believe it is the secret sauce yeah. to get past that. And I also believe that most of the things in my way are me yeah, and I got to get me out of the way. So how do you overcome some of that cultural resistance to that, especially in the business world? Sure. And, and there's nothing soft about it. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. Right. And so I think it's, um, it's framing it in business context or, you know, the psychology of the individual, like that person I said, when I, when I just kind of reframed it as feelings and intuition as a data point, he was missing. It gave him an access into it that was non-threatening and non. Um, so marketing, marketing is based upon triggering people's feelings. Mm-hmm. Feelings. What emotions are you engaging? How are you? If we were to apply that to this department, the same tools and technology that we apply to our customers and clients in order to engage them and get them to buy, what would that look like? Like you know, enter from the. Um, from the vantage points of how that might resonate with that. And so I don't know if there's one answer, um, but yeah, I try and use the language and the framework of whomever I'm working with in order to have, you know, the aha. Hmm. Um, yeah. So it like, uh, I'm trying to think there's a, a client of mine. Um, he's a, he's a technology guy, but he's a big gamer. And so we've gamified a bunch of exercises for him. Right. He thought he'd never get off his butt. He'd never, you know, he just couldn't get into it. I'm not a fitness coach, by the way. I wish I was um, a health coach. I figured out I got a gamify it for him. He's, he's now, and we've only been working together, not even three months, and he's already blown through his goals and he thinks he may start on a marathon. 
<laughs> seriously, seriously, he's been awesome. doing this for trying to get off his butt for five years now. Wow, he's like driving his wife crazy. He's like, I think, and he's the reason why I love him. He's like, actually, I've done all this research, and I think it's probably suboptimal for my body. So maybe I will re. I'm like, listen, it's your game. <laughs> Whatever. That's I'm a good like, way to put it. It's your game. It's your game, right? <laughs> I love so it. Marathon is great. Whatever else, but. When you talk about feelings and stuff, when it enters through how he can process, yeah. we can talk about what's coming up for you. Like what's, how it, you know, he, he gets, he talks about feelings when he talks about gaming and how frustrated he can't get the level and how whatever, like feelings come natural. You want to talk guy, like sports, the most rigid, I am intellectual, I am a robot. Yeah. Get him talking about sports. I'm like, oh, what's that coming up right there? Oh. Oh my God, the feeling, run, run, the feeling. <laughs> and they're like, oh, wow, yeah, I guess I do have them. Hmm. <laughs> who knew? Who knew? No, so, no, you're not human. There's, there's always a window in where they can then, uh, okay, now in their gut, I know what you're talking about. Wow. Like every, I think every, almost everybody I've ever talked to, like, didn't you have that like sixth sense something that you said you shouldn't have done it and you did it anyway? And you're like, oh, damn it. Why did I not? Why did I like, and people are like, oh my God. And then they usually rattle off. I go, that's intuition. That's something telling you something. Now the question is, once again, from a business perspective, there's risk mitigation, there's this, what if you act, what if you don't, how do you process, what is the data? You can frame all of that around that so they feel comfortable then acting and processing it, but just connecting to what that is and, and like, oh, okay. Because it's not just theoretical anymore. Yeah. So the, the leaders you're working with, I'm curious. I was just on a webinar, or not a webinar, but a little workshop this week. There was another leadership coach on, does a lot of things like myself. And the facilitator was throwing out things about, well, this is what the issue is. And he and I were both saying, we're shaking our head because, and what our comment was, the majority of the leaders aren't saying that about themselves. More often than not, the higher level leaders are pointing at the rest of the team as the issue. Oh, sure. So I'm curious in your work, are you typically having the people who have already really come to that place saying, I need to work on me or are you somehow in the conversation and the process helping them to see, you know, sort of holding up the mirror and get them to work on them? That is such a fantastic question. So I will bifurcate it. I would say when I do B2C, when the, the person hires me themselves, whether it's an executive or sort of a professional or high professional, they've come to an epiphany that they really, there's something they're missing. There's something they don't know they don't know and they want someone there. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, with an executive, they're, you know, what I hear, what they share with me often is that they're just stressed out of their minds, you know, completely unfulfilled. They've done everything they thought they were told to do to create this perfect life and they're miserable. And they feel like they're in their own prison and uh, they just, they just don't know what to do anymore. And they're just sort of at a loss and they can't afford to stay this way. Too much is at stake. On the lower professional millennial side, it's more that they, they're feeling like they're missing out. Like, especially in this pause, I call it the great pause. They're looking at their life. They're realizing they're not where they thought they were going to be. This isn't the job or career that they thought it was going to be. And, they know it isn't it, and they've got no idea how to craft the next future. They don't know how to go after it, so they need some help. So those are folks that I feel like they have a window or some humility that there's something they don't know they don't know. 
When I get hired by companies, however, more times than not, it's like, so, you know, so you're really frustrated that, you know, you're, you know, particularly because I'm a compensation expert, you know, your highest expense is compensation and you don't feel like your team is being particularly, you know, productive or engaged. And what the heck is that about? And, you know, I know you're really, you know, been very successful to date, but, you know, there's got to be a way for us to work together in order to really get your team and organization back to being productive and engaged, even in this crazy COVID time, right? I'm like, oh my God, yes, of course. As soon as you get in, what do you think the biggest barrier to productivity and engagement is? It's them, usually. Right? right? So I don't have people under my thumb anymore. Right. How and can I manage what, this way? And you know what? Sometimes it's not that they're terrible, they're just not optimal. And so whomever is on their leadership team, they're at uh, sort of the risk or the whims of their, the leadership team under them, right? So it's not always that they're awful. They're just not good. <laughs> and you can't, and that's not good enough. That's not good enough. And so, so that it's usually more that organizational. And then once again, that's why the assessments help. It creates a little bit more self-awareness of how, who they are and how they act. So they can then better understand how that might have ripple effects into their organization other leadership teams probably are. Um, perfect example was that founder, um, founder is son dynamic. And so I did an assessment, a standout assessment, the next generation of strength finders. And I did it for his son as well. And, and it showed what their sort of two towering strengths are. And not surprisingly, the son's was very different. And, you know, they had had huge issues. And he goes, wow, all these years, I thought Johnny was a shitty version of me. He's a really good version of him. It's <laughs> mm. good insight. Right? And I go, okay, well, that's, that's an epiphany, an awakening, just on a relationship basis. So Kill's going to feel really good about hearing that. Hopefully, yeah. you'll say it nicer than that. I go, but now let's talk organizationally. What do you need the role to do? now what he's doing and what he eventually needs to do because many organizations when it's founder-led they create the support and the infrastructure and everything around what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are so i'm like if johnny's going to take over and this is how he's wired what's similar what's different and what is the infrastructure and support system and sort of board that he needs to surround himself by to round out his edges yeah. not your edges right and how do we do that in a way that's graceful and creates mutual respect and everything else. And then that's Honoring. where it took the emotion out. It took the judgment out. Yeah. Um, and everybody's like, wow, okay, I can just be, and the organization can flex. We have time. It wasn't, it wasn't like, thank God. It wasn't like, oh my God, they need to rip the bandaid off in six months, which sometimes does happen. And we have to accelerate yeah. those. But so that's, that's a good example. So let me, at the, at the, at the risk and reward effort here of asking, putting a bow on this. Sure because you've shared so many rich things and ideas. So I want you to envision right now that there are ten thousand, tens of thousands of people out there listening saying, I want to unlock my highest potential and I want to be living at the highest performance possible. What's the one thing you're going to tell them to do other than hiring you? <laughs> the good news is there are a ton of things that are free out there. Become self-aware. Mm. become self-aware, self-aware on the life you want to create, do a values exercise, create that container of the life you want to live into, right? Understand yourself. 
try, if at all, I know it's hard, take away judgment. Understand what is your secret sauce. The standout report assessment that's online is 15 bucks. You don't have to have a coach to go through it. It helps, but you don't have to. You know, I mean, Eli, do the work to understand how you, how you play in the universe, what's possible, and then you'll just have so many more tools and techniques when you go after that life you want to create. Fantastic. So what do, you, what do people need to know, Carrie? And we always ask people, uh, our guests, is there something in particular you want to talk about or promote that they now know about you or your business or something going on in your life? Sure. So, um, so we'll talk about where everybody can find me later, but there's something I've, off, I've started offering in these COVID times in particular, um, and I think it'll be in your show notes. If I haven't sent it, I will send it, um, is people can set up 15-minute laser coaching sessions with me. Hmm. Come in, I'll ask for some information so we're not starting with, okay, tell me all the backstory, and we'll do this quick shift, very much about what we talked about, like kind of where's the mindset now, what is that limiting and providing and see if in 15 from a place of play, what times it not at work? Sometimes it doesn't. It's totally okay. Absolutely cannot hurt. And like, let's get in there and, and play with something to see how just shifting mindset and possibility then opens up um, potential and performance for folks. And, and to your point, how do people find you? What's the best way to find you? So I am such a modern girl. I'm everywhere. No, uh, so I have um, a revamped website I'm pretty proud of. It's www.vibrant.com. Uh, That's spelled B-Y-B-R-A-N-T-E. Um, and then uh, happy to always uh, talk to folks directly. So Karian, K-E-R-R-I-A-N, one N, two R's. Uh, at Vibrant, and then on LinkedIn, Karen Fournier, Facebook, Karen Fournier, Vibrant Ventures, yada, yada, yada. Uh, the only thing I'm not on, I feel like, is Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I never got the Twitter bug. I never tweeted. So I figured uh, I was trying to conquer these other domains. Maybe someday I'll... 130 characters is just too small. Oh, my God. Can I, <laughs> well, I think they raised it, but it's still small. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. You know? So yeah. So, um, so that's the only thing you probably will not actually find me on. Well, we'll make it easy for them. We'll put all that in the show notes when we get this published, which will be very soon. We always finish, uh, with one or two questions. I'm going to just pick the question today and ask you just do it. Cause Craig and I love movies. We referenced it early. When we think, when you think about leadership, what movie comes to mind or a scene or a character that speaks to you about leadership? Oh, gosh. What a great question. Huh. You know, it's funny. I've never thought of it this way, but I don't know why it's coming up to my head right now, so I'm just going to say it. There's a movie, Dave, as a president, and he's just humble, and he was just trying to be of service. Kevin. And he was just stretching at yeah, Kevin Klein, just trying to do it with integrity and the best he could and really solve the problems and, like, enroll his friends, the guy that came in to, that was an accountant to kind of look at the book, just authenticity and intention, oh. humility. Um, that's, that's lovely. Interesting. I'll have to go back and watch that one. I haven't it's watched a long it in years. Time. I have no idea why that came up in my brain. <laughs> well, it I came up I for a reason and thanks that's right. for trusting. That feels like some quantum living. <laughs> there you go. Nice. So thank you for being here. Thanks for sharing. I've been enriched and I know everybody yes. who's listening will have been as well. Thanks. Yes, thank you so much.
you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.